to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. On this episode, I hung out with Ching Chu Hu, a musician, composer, and dad of four beautiful children. I first met Ching Chu in Wyoming through the Brush Creek Art Residency. Born in Iowa City, Ching Chu grew up in a predominantly white area, and we bonded over our shared experience of growing up as Chinese American. Ching Chu studied music at Yale, followed by a master's at the University of Iowa and a PhD at the University of Michigan. Currently, Ching Chu is a professor and chair of music at Denison University. While in Wyoming, Ching Chu was so kind as to help me film one of my videos, with me in a dinosaur costume running around the vast open fields. After getting to know Ching Chu for a month, I knew I wanted to interview him and was excited that he agreed. Ching Chu was quite fascinated with the history of my name, so we spent quite some time talking about naming, along with notions of authenticity, who gets to appropriate what, Asian representation, and the age-old question of, where are you from? I hope you enjoy this. I'm here with Ching Chu, and we are currently at the Brush Creek Residency. Ching Chu is a musician, composer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I just wanted to talk to you about, I guess, your music. Um, I'm interested in particularly how you described your work. You've talked about how your backgrounds and influences affect sure. your music. And so that's sort of overarching things that I am interested in. Okay. Um, but I guess, why don't you start off with a little bit about you, how you became a musician, where you grew up. Okay, sure. I, I was born in Iowa City, Iowa, and actually grew up in a very Chinese household. Um, how, would you, how would you describe a very Chinese household? Well, um, it's funny because if, I think if you think of Iowa, you don't really think of sort of, you know, a large Chinese community. But um, because of the university there, there was actually quite a large Chinese community. So All academics. All academics. And parents, though they were both born in China, they both grew up in Taiwan, and then they both met in a small town in Iowa, Cedar Falls, Iowa. And so I grew up, until I went to preschool, only speaking Chinese. You know, my parents were involved with, like, Chinese student associations, things like that. And they would play mahjong all weekend, every weekend. Yeah, oh, totally. And so... Do you not play mahjong? um, Barely. Like, that's something I I need to learn, because I I was talking to my mom. I like playing mahjong. You know how to to play? I learned how to play from, like, one of my great aunts in Hong Kong. Oh, yeah? And they would bet, but... Yeah. I never played with money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The the parents would play. And I like some of my earliest memories are sort of like waking up on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And like the par- the dads especially have played all night. Really? You know, and there's there'd be some weekends where they would actually play all weekend. And so I grew up with all these Chinese friends mm-hmm. and and um, weekends, you know, we would go to different people's houses. And like if it's a harsh winter and a snowstorm would happen, everybody, all the families would just stay at the home and stuff and and, you know, sleep on the floor and stuff like that. So I grew up with only speaking Chinese, only sort of interacting with Chinese folks and friends until I, until they 
dropped me off at preschool. You know, so that's when I started to encounter American culture. And and that's when my parents realized, oh, we got to do Halloween. We got to do Easter, you know, because it was Thanksgiving, all that stuff. Yeah, because before then, you know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know. And so I was about four or five when my parents got me started on piano. And so I started playing piano then and I played all the way through graduate school and stuff like that. And, and I still your brother play. and sister also had to play too? Uh, I have two sisters, two younger sisters. Yeah, they all they all started on piano as well. And then we all chose a different string instrument. So I played piano and I played uh, double bass, mm-hmm. string bass. Um, one of my sisters plays violin, the other plays cello. Mm-hmm. And so we sort of grew up with that. And I started composing when it started out as a piano assignment. Um, when my piano teacher said, hey, you know, why don't you write a little melody to this? And mm-hmm. that... That got that started, mm. and um, my parents thought that I enjoyed it. So they're they like, "Hey, wanna... you enjoyed it?" Yeah, they're like, "Hey, did you have fun?" I'm like, "Yeah." And like, "Once you do, once you write another one," I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> you know, I think when you're in that age, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter what it is. Like, it could be yeah, with clay, with paint, with music. Yeah, with you words. don't quite know whether you enjoy something or not. Yeah, you yeah. Just, you just do it, and you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't worry about it, right? You don't second guess it. You don't, you don't criticize your own drawings, you mm-hmm. know, or your own music at that point. So it's sort of like, it's just all play. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that. And then uh, my parents started saying, Hey, they just sort of encouraged it. And I um, started writing pieces for my family's birthdays. Mm-hmm. So like for my mom's birthday, I'd write a piece, my dad's birthday. That wasn't a happy birthday to you. It no, it wasn't weird. a happy birthday. No, it was a piece that I would write. Okay. And I sort of would sort of put their personalities in it. So like for, I, th- I remember for my sisters, I think one of, one of the pieces I wrote was called chattering. Cause I felt like she just talked all the time. So like the so pieces, passive was, aggressive. Yeah, a little bit, right. It was <laughs> nice to get that out in music. <laughs> but then because I was playing piano, there's all these uh, piano competitions. Mm. And so my, my piano teacher was part of an organization that had these yearly competitions. And then she noticed that while they had instrumental competitions, they also had composition competitions. Mm. So she started started suggesting, hey, why don't you enter your piece in that? So I started writing pieces to enter in competitions. Mm. You know, and then that just sort of grew and um, it, it goes from state to regional to national. And this is still in high school. This this started, this started, I think I started entering competitions in like fifth grade. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, they, and then you get critiques from judges. And if you win, you advance to the next level. And yeah, it goes, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. I just slowly worked at it, worked at it. And would, and my pieces would sort of get a bit more complicated. Uh, you know, maybe um, by the time I was in high school, I would write pieces for other instruments and things like that. Yeah. So it just started expanding that way. Yeah. And when you composed at that age, who would perform? Would you also perform? Yeah, for the most part, until until I got to high school, everything I wrote was for a piano, basically. Well, no, that's not true. I think in junior high, because I was in orchestra, I also wrote a piece for the string orchestra. Hmm. And so I started writing string pieces and piano pieces. So stuff that I could play or that I knew yeah, yeah. how it would work because yeah, my sisters yeah. were playing string instruments as well. Yeah. You know, and then I branched out by writing for choir and writing for full orchestra. I just started, you know, started to learn how to write for them. And were your parents supportive the entire time? Oh, totally. Yeah, my dad's a visual artist or was a visual artist. So, like, I don't think there was any discouragement from them in terms of pursuing the arts, mm-hmm. you know. And then when I was in college, it just it was just something I loved doing. I did. I don't. Th- I think I entered college really not thinking about what my major would be. I think I had considered psychology and I considered pre law, and I still I'm still fascinated by those areas and. You know, if I were ever to go back to school, I'd love to sort of just take a dive. In, yeah, yeah. You know, but music was always just part of what I did every day. So it was just, 
Um, if there wasn't sense. any worry by your parents over um, no. careers, was it? No. Do you think that's because music is seen as a more prestigious artistic form? Hmm. I, you know, I think my parents would have supported me no matter what. Okay. I think maybe it was sometime in high school or so. I think my grandfather, my dad's dad, had asked my dad. Um, was it right for him to encourage me to go into music? Yeah. And my dad had replied, oh, yeah, it's totally fine because he will, he'll go into academia. You know, and my he grandfather. That? That's what he said. I mean, unbeknownst I mean, you, you to me, he never told me. Right? He never told oh, me. Because you did. Yeah. Right, right. I, I did. And my dad was in academia and my grandfather was in academia. So I think once my dad told that to my grandfather, you know, he was fine with it. I paused for a second because I, I think I remember there was one time maybe spring semester of my senior year in college where my dad had sort of just asked, like, no, are you sure you want to go into music? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even like a way of trying to make me question it, but he was just genuinely curious. But that did set off a panic attack in me, like, oh, my God, is, am, I, am I supposed to? Am I not supposed to? You know, yeah, uh, yeah. but that was like, you know, just a, a couple of days of like worrying about it. But no, I think this is this is how I want to leave my mark. This is how I need to express myself right right you know so it's I, just yeah i only ask as, as you probably know like you know as not just i guess chinese immigrants but a lot of immigrants this idea of bringing you know traveling from your home country to another country for yeah. the children and then yeah. for the children to yes. suddenly take up a professional career that doesn't seem to be naturally financially stable right it's oftentimes right. this sort of there's a tension there. That's true. That's true. I think, and yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Okay. I think, um, yeah, because, you know, among the Chinese friends, I think everybody learned music, right? Like you, yeah, you sort yeah. of had to learn. Yeah, you had yeah. to choose an instrument. You had to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but most of them were, I would say most of my friends were encouraged to keep that as a hobby. Um, so I don't think any of them, even while they were playing throughout high school would ever think of it as a career, you know, because mm-hmm. most of, most of the Chinese friends that I grew up with are in medicine, <laughs> oh, really? you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, most of them are. And then, um, a few of them are in, um, sort of computer type careers, but, you know, cybersecurity, et cetera, that kind of thing. And, yeah, yeah. but yeah, most of them, most of them are in medicine. Yeah. 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 Or I mean, some are, some are in finance and that kind of thing too. But yeah, um, out of all the, all the people that I, grew up with maybe there's one other person who's also done music or two others uh-huh. but m- mainly it's been yeah business med medicine oriented yeah, yeah yeah i don't have any i don't have any chinese friends who are lawyers i don't think oh no, no one that's true one the and the and, and that friend um did law school and med school <laughs> so and now he's a doctor though. um now he's gosh i'm not sure I, I i've lost touch with him yeah yeah so you grew up Sort of going back to Iowa, you grew up with a very strong Chinese community there. Very strong Chinese yeah. community. Yeah. And I think very tr- sort of traditional Chinese, you know, values in that yeah. sense, too. Like yeah. based on what we're talking about in terms of careers, in terms of family, in terms of, you know, how a household is run. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think that's interesting because I think it sounds like in Iowa City you had a bigger Chinese community than I did in New Hampshire. Really? Yeah. It really wasn't. Yeah. I think if there was, my parents just weren't part of it. Okay. Maybe, but. Okay. Yeah, I think because, you know, University of Iowa is a, just a big research university and yeah. the sciences are so strong in yeah, a way. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, 
Yeah, I think I, I don't know. It, it was just something where it's it's funny. I didn't really think about it that way because growing up in Iowa City, I still felt very much like, okay, I'm the only Chinese person in this class, or like, oh, why oh, did so, my parents? Oh, so the community was sort of outside of school. Well, I mean, there are a few, right? We we we, yeah, we yeah. would we would overlap in school, but we would not necessarily be in the same class. Yeah, there may yeah, be kids yeah. that are a couple years older, a couple mm-hmm. kids a couple years younger. Mm-hmm. You know, there are four of us, four or five of us that are in the same years, but mm-hmm. we were split into two schools yeah, and, you yeah, know, yeah. that kind of thing. But so I, so I definitely, definitely felt isolated in that way. And my, my parents were very, or my dad especially was very strict on the sense that, you know, having a Chinese name, right. So you never Not, had an English name. No, I never had an English name. And I knew, I remember sort of going through a period of time of, of, of sort of resenting that, like, because, you know, I wanted to fit in and so that what, kind of thing. What, did you have but an imaginary English? I didn't, I didn't, but I, I do remember enjoying taking foreign language classes and where you had to choose a name. Uh-huh. I'm like, Ooh, we got to choose a name. So, you know, that was good. But I mean, <laughs> and of course now, like, you know, I don't know. Did you ever do that? Did you ever, did you ever feel like, why am I called Z1 and why was I not called? Well, you know? I mean, actually my parents gave me an English name right before I was born. Oh, really? They did, yeah. Oh, you just don't use it? I, I switched when I went to grad school, actually. So I went by Christopher Diwan Chung. And right before I was born, my parents switched my name. Or they added Christopher as their first name. And oh, so you... I went by Chris okay. until I was 27. And that's when I went to grad school. And I think, I think that was when I sort of got an idea of maybe who I was. At 27 and like also accepting of my, um, my Chinese heritage in a more concrete way. I think like, cause when right. I grew up, I grew up in New Hampshire and I was sort of like a, you know, moody high school student. I had moved from New York and I thought like I was better than New Hampshire, but I really wasn't. Right, 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 and right. so, so I didn't really interact with many people and New Hampshire is pretty white. And I went to, when I went to undergrad, I sort of met all these Asian people and then that's sort of when I started thinking about it more concretely, you know, uh, like what is my role as a Chinese or Asian American? What does that mean? And sort of relearning, you know, all these systems and rules of different cultures. Right. And so like right. a lot of these, there's so many different type, types of Asians at university. There were Asian Americans or, you know, right. Bob's, right. you know, directly right. from China, right. Japan, Korea, right. Right. Uh, Southeast Asia. And then so relearning those systems and rules of like how to interact. But this was in grad school time. This was an undergrad. Oh, this wasn't undergrad, okay. Yeah. And then from undergrad, I went to Korea and then LA. And then I I think I basically took all that information from undergrad and just dwelled on it for a long time. First living in a foreign country, Korea, where I was so Asian, but not Korean. Right. Right, right. Going to LA, which is a cultural melting pot. Or yes. Depending how you live yes, your yes, life yes, in yes. LA. Because you can be very segregated in LA, um, so I thought about it, and then when I got into grad school, I think that's when I started um, my art, started thinking more about my identity, and then so I sort of embraced my Chinese name, and I got into grad school, switched my name to Diwan, and then I actually legally got rid of Christopher from my birth certificate. Oh, you did? I did, which was which took uh, like a year and a sure. half. Which is why I told you, like, if you yeah. wanted to change your children's names easier. Yeah, easier now. Because I had to change my driver's license, passport, social, social security, security, birth certificate, 
you know, and like, I think I remember looking at the instructions and if it's under 18 as an adult, the parent could just sign everything and there'd be no issue. Right. Right. But as soon as I'm past an adult, it's a lot of stuff. It got a lot of stuff. And I had, I had to change it where I was born too, which is California. And I wasn't living in California. Oh really? Yeah. I'm not sure if it differs from state to state, but I had to mail things to L to California wow. and then have that be mailed to me to then get the forms and then mail it back, change it. So it was a whole ordeal. So does your family ever call you Chris anymore? No. Well, they never did. Because they always you know, called you Ziwan. Yeah. Uh, well, you know how like in you know how in in Chinese cultures you've got like older brother, younger brother. Yep, so yep. I was always called Gal, like Gal Gal. Yeah. And since I was the eldest, my brother and sister also always called me yeah, Gal, and then yeah. my dad and mom would actually call me Gal. Oh, they would. They would. Oh. Or or my mom would call call me Wan, like Ziwan, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. the one, and my brother sister. And I are all clouds. So Hoi Wan, King Wan, D Wan. Uh, okay. And we're all different types of clouds. So okay. sometimes she'll like look at one of us, but all three of us are there and she'll say Wan and then we'll look at her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. It's sort of cute that she thinks yeah, of us yeah. as her clouds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. So, and, but your, your, your siblings haven't, they, they've kept their English names. Yeah, by the time my brother and sister were born, my parents didn't care. So. <laughs> Oh really? Yeah. So they their birth certificate has Hoi Wan and and uh, King Wan. Also, oh, they don't have they don't have uh, they don't English have names. English names. So it's just it was just oh, it was a last minute thing for your parents. Yeah, they freaked out. Oh, interesting. And briefly, some people I think as a kid, people call my sister Hillary because Hoi Wan and yeah, Ken yeah. for Ken Wan. Yeah. I think so. I think, but my, that's more of a nickname than anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. And they still introduce themselves as Hoi Wan, Ken Wan. Okay. Yeah. I bet it's in, in a way it's you find that in a way less common now for for ABCs. Although let's see your parents your parents weren't born in the states, right? No. So you're still first generation born like I am. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. but like if you meet others who are like second or third generation, yeah. Right, you you hardly ever find any Chinese sort of Chinese names. names. Yeah, well I yeah, I I think about that a lot cuz I don't really speak Chinese, so Right. I understand a bit of Cantonese, but like not enough I guess I could look up a Chinese Cantonese name, but right. that's so different. Right, right, right. And I wouldn't be opposed to it, but right. Uh, yeah, something I think about, and this sort of loss of culture, right? Like, yeah. I if I don't learn Chinese, which may happen, I don't know. Um, right. There's all that stories and relationships yep. that are sort yep. of cut off because a certain yep. section of my family doesn't speak English. Right. Do you do you see them often, like once a couple of years, kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I've got relatives in Canada, Canada after, especially after they moved yep. after the, the British gave back Hong Kong. Right. I still have a bunch of relatives in Hong Kong and then a bunch of family in California. And I see the ones in California the most. Right. Yeah. Interesting. No, I think, I think for me, my dad's philosophy has always been like, when someone sees you here in the U S it doesn't matter that you're born in the U S but because of the way you look, they will always assume that you're Chinese. You know, like like whether you have an English name or not, they see you specifically Chinese or or like, Asian. I mean, like yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I mean, he would say Chinese because, like, obviously, you know, it's it's easier for us or easier for my parents' generation, especially. But easier for us, like when you see someone, you could you you can take a pretty good guess at whether or not they're you know Chinese or Korean or Japanese. I mean, like we 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 could see that wall. I think a lot of sort of Caucasian folks can't. Although it is hard. Right? It can be hard, but, uh, but there's, have you ever played, like, there's a website that's like, what, 
what are you? And there's like two different Asian people and you have to guess. Oh, really? No. It's really no. hard. Oh, it's it's, it's really hard. But yeah, but that's it's a game really where they're trying to trick you too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I know what you mean. Like there are, yeah. def- there, you know, if you had this. Um, or you see the name, you'll know. Yeah, that yeah. Kind of thing. Usually the name, I think names are the easiest yeah. one giveaways. Yep. So I th- that's why I find it funny when, you know, since I, uh, I teach at a university, <clears throat> there are a lot of Chinese students who, 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 come here just just for undergrad and they've chosen an English name. An English name. Mm-hmm. But the names are so just randomly chosen that, you know It's a lot of Christian names. A lot of Bible, Christian, but, Bible but, names. but also just yeah, um it just doesn't really fit. Like you meet them, you're like, wow, this name just doesn't like, fit you. My, my dad's name's Ambrose, which I always Ambrose? find <laughs> so strange. I don't yeah. know anyone named Ambrose, yeah. but it's a b- biblical name, right? Right, right. So, you know, but then I was also in Hong Kong last summer. I was judging an international music festival and I met, you know, younger kids there, you know, meaning like teens, 20s. And they also chose English names, but like a lot of them are also just English words and not even names, you know, or something. I have to to, to think about, yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 right. Celebrities naming their kid Apple. You know, it's just interesting. I mean, I think... Um, this idea of identity that you're talking about. I mean, it, it's 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 more than a name, but the name is so important. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like we just had right. We had a conversation last night at dinner, right, about choosing titles for works. Yeah, right, and yeah. like how that itself is sort of a, a naming process. Because I mean, if you're creating your work, your art, your music, your words, mm-hmm. like like the name, the title you're naming your child in that way. Like you're naming that work and it has to fit and you have to, you have to live with it a little bit. And I think sometimes, I don't know. I think, I think it can't just be what you like, but it has to be how it fits, you know? And then if you're, if you're trying to choose a name in a different language other than your own, you have no idea about the connotations. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. But it's, it is, but it's also interesting because English is also ubiquitous. So when, Asian people pick English names. There's more of a context, I think. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, but it also could be just like a celebrity they like, mm, a movie yeah. that they've seen, yeah, a character yeah. they like, and you sort of do that. But also English names don't have much meaning in the way that Chinese, like, you know, right. my name means intelligent clouds. Right, but like, right, right. It, it, you know, if you're like uh, John, like it refers to like maybe biblical sense, but it doesn't mean actual like an no, actual right. definition. right. Yeah, but yeah, no names important. Names important, and I think I I think I changed my name also to force people to be confronted with my my Chinese heritage in a right. way. Right, right. But know? you but you don't you don't, you're not using conf- confronted as, as an aggressive no term, but, right? But, yeah. Or do you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's aggressive in the sense that it makes people uncomfortable. Like they have to like ask how to spell it they have to ask how to even pronounce it right you know it's it's a series of sounds that they are not familiar in forming their right. mouths around right right i always thought it's funny when if i'm being introduced along with a line of of other people and everybody else has a two-syllable name like you know oh what's your name michael hi michael what's your name judy hi judy what's your name charles hi charles what's your name ching chu hi ching yeah. And I'm like, 
no, I said Ching Chu. <laughs> you know, like, like yeah, you yeah. know, it's always awkward if like when you first meet someone, you have to say, but I'm like, wait a minute, everybody else had two syllable names or maybe three. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, but they, for some reason they hear the first syllable and then that's all they say. Yeah. You know, but I think I, but I think I don't know how much is like revisionist, like thinking or history, but like, I think I changed my name also to force people to allow me to then point that out. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, right? Not many people get that chance what? to sort of change their name or like think about their identity, ethnicity sort of in that way and have that opportunity. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. if your parents never gave you a Chinese name, then I you'd be asking I, yeah, no, in twenties, like, you're Hey, right, you're right. I wouldn't think can about you choose it. one for me or something, but like you'd never even had that yeah, tension yeah. in your name yeah. before. Right. So Z1 yeah. was your middle name. Yeah, and I never used it. And then, so do your siblings have middle names? No. No. Yeah, see, yeah, like, I don't have a middle name. It says Hoi Wan Chong, yeah. my brother's Kim yeah. Wan Chong. Mine oh. was Christopher. Right. G- well, actually, it's funny, in my name, I also did a slight switch, because phonetically, when my parents said Ziwan, it was actually spelled C-H-I-W-A-N, uh-huh, which, uh-huh. Then, which then made it weird, because when you pronounce it with using the logic of the English grammar yes. is Chiwan. Right. But in man in, in Cantonese it'd be it's D Wan. Right, right, right. So then I also when I revised my name, I also made from the C to a Z right, to right. at least for me more accurately right. phonetically try to sound out how it would sound in Cantonese. Yeah, because I think if I were to do that actually we would have we would have had J's instead of CH's. For your name. For name. Because, yeah, because actually my Chinese name is Jingju. Mm, right? But, yeah, like, yeah. I think at the time, the CHs would, you know, that's what they that's, translated yeah, it yeah, as. Yeah, Just yeah. like Peking, Beijing. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, I, Hong Kong, Hong Kong. Right. What is, what is Hong Kong Mandarin? Um, uh, Guangdong. Yeah. Xiangang. Xiangang. Sorry. Xiangang is, is Hong Kong. But Guangdonghua is Cantonese. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so I've, yeah, I've always wondered about that, too, because... Because now also, like, right, the change, the, 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 Zhang was C-H-A-N-G. Now it's Z-H-A-N-G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. it sounds more correct now. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, my mom wouldn't change that anymore. You know, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> so, also not a concern. No, it's not a concern. Yeah, right. Yeah. And also, I don't know. I mean, and this is also something I think maybe it segues nicely, but I also, I also changed my name as a reaction to, what I saw to be a largely white, I guess, representation within the fine arts, okay. you know? And so it also, I saw as a way to stand out. Right. Right. And, you know, art is all about also finding a niche, finding a place. Right. And so for me, it was important to like put my stamp there so that when you just read the name, you don't actually know what, ethnicity potentially it might be in terms mm-hmm. of like, are they Chinese are they American um, right there's an ambiguity about that and also embracing things are shifting politics are shifting representations are shifting and so right. that's my way to right I guess approach that I think yeah I think that's I think that's interesting I think I think in um, in music there's always a lot of Asians mm-hmm. right and um, so my grapplings with um my asianness i guess or my ethnicity my identity has always been sort of a, a little bit um well, i think i don't know i think i think you sort of touched upon this or if not today then we've we've talked about this sort of before but mm-hmm. like you know um to follow along my dad's train of thought of you know hey if someone sees you here they're thinking you're chi- that you're chinese 
his what he means is that they're not going to think that you're American. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the, there's a, that sense of sort of not belonging. That yeah. sort of where are you that, from? Where, where are you, you where, from? Where are you really from? Right. Where are you where from? Your parents, originally? Where are your parents yes, from? Yes. You know. You know, and and it's awful that you know I get that I get that in interviews. You know, and and you probably hear that. Like, I probably hear that like once a year. Yeah. You know, I don't know about you. I think it also feels different if someone who is white is asking. Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, if someone who is Asian comes up and asks me, then I then like I feel like it's a very different thing. I don't think I don't think my I don't think my you know like the porcupine like needles don't yeah, go yeah, up. Yeah. You know. But I think um, well, it's because that's actually trying to find a true connection. Right. I, right. It's, it's more. It's more informational than novelty. In yeah, a way, yeah. Right? Well, like, yeah, because if I ask, if I oftentimes when I ask if someone who's Asian, ambiguously Asian, who doesn't necessarily have a ethnicity that I can immediately identify, is so that I can actually see how much of an overlap there is. Mm-hmm. Versus oftentimes when you know someone not Asian, usually white, asks, it's like I've been. They'll say, "Oh, what are you?" And then if I say Chinese, like I've been to China, but I've I've never really been to China. I don't know anything about China. Right, right, right. I've been there once as a kid. Don't remember it. I right. would have nothing to add about that overlap. And going to Hong Kong is very different than going to the rest of the China, which is huge, right? right, right? right. You know, and so it becomes a it becomes a conversation with someone projecting yeah. who they think you are. Yeah. Versus, you know, when I ask you, it's it's so that I could actually see if there's a valid connection. Right, right, right. I right, think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you had mentioned this um, when we were talking about it a week ago, that sort of like, you know, cause I think someone had asked like, well, how is that offensive? And they weren't trying to be offensive, but they were trying yeah. to understand, you know, and I think you were very eloquent in sort of saying, because it's, it's the, the underlying subtext of that is sort of like, okay, you're not from here. Yeah. Right. You don't belong. So mm-hmm. we're, you know, how did you get here? Yeah, yeah. Right. How did you get so that I can accept you? Yeah, yeah. Right. So I can contextualize you. Yeah. So I can make the unfamiliar familiar under my terms. Right. So do you um do you have did you have to sort of come out to your your friends from high school and stuff and college days to say like hey, this is my new name? Did you have I, to sort of well, reintroduce yourself? There were certain steps I took. So like, I think in college, I actually switched my Facebook profile name to to D1. Okay. And so that was the first step. And so people who knew me- Who were friends with you already, they saw that change. They saw that change, but they knew that I still went by Chris because like, you know, you know, on like birthdays, people say happy happy birthday, Chris on Facebook. But then once I got into grad school, like- I, I know that people started noticing because people refer to me or tag me as Ziwan, as Ziwan um, outside of the link. Right. right. And so like, happy birthday, Ziwan. Right. But I didn't, I'm not, you know, I told all my old friends, like, you can call me whatever's easiest. I don't want to make it difficult for you. Right. The only time it becomes a sort of issue is when like people who knew me as Chris meet people who knew me, who knows me as Ziwan. Yeah. And then that's where it gets sort of confusing because that is just unnecessary confusion. Sure. But on a one-on-one basis, I, I basically say you can call me whatever you but think. But it'd be weird for us. Like if, now that I've met you, if I call you Chris, that would just be weird. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 But I think like if people grew up with you, always calling you one thing, then they have to change. Well, I guess, I mean, these days, not that big of a deal. Or yeah. It shouldn't be. No, it, sh- it shouldn't. But it's, you know, I mean. This goes with identity though. It goes right? with identity, but all, yeah, no, I mean, it also goes with just like, 
changing how you think. Like I remember the first time I had to refer to someone as they, you know, yeah. like your brain, you, you, you definitely have to rewire your brain the first like month. Sure. You, I found myself stopping myself and like saying yes. like, and so yes. he or she, like he, and then, uh, oh, sh- they, or like, yeah. sh- oh, they, yeah. you know, and there's that pause. And so that's why I was conscious about telling my friends uh, who knew me as Chris, like, I don't, I don't need you to change. change. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not as important for them, I think. Right. Right. It would be harder if you changed your pronouns. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, so when you went to college, what was, what was that like in terms of the music department? I think in terms of my college experience, it was mainly just sort of really just enjoying college. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought about identity a bit, but you know, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't join any of the Asian student associations. Probably better. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I, um, but I didn't, I didn't cluster myself that yeah, way. But yeah, the same yeah. way, like, you know, college for me was also figuring out who I was as a gay man. So, so like, I mm. felt like identity at that point was, wasn't really about race, but, but about who I loved and, yeah, and, and, se- and your sexual, my orientation. sexual orientation. Right. Mm. And so I don't think like, you know, at, at, at that time, I think, I think race comes into it in the sense of like going, Oh crap, you know, I'm the only boy in my family. Mm-hmm. I'm the only boy in the generation. Mm-hmm. The whole carrying on the family name thing is so important in my family and so important in Chinese culture, right? I mean, because I think the same thing like you're sort of talking about, you know, if white people are asking you where you're from originally, like, I don't know if you, your relatives were like this, but like amongst the Chinese friends and families, like it was totally okay when you go home for college or whatever, you know, your family friends, your parents' friend would say like, oh, hey, do you have a girlfriend? Mm. Right. And like, but like it was always, you know, but the, that sort of blunt questioning is something I feel like is very just sort of Chinese, especially among Chinese family. Like, okay, if yeah. there's family, then there's, there's, you know, I can ask you anything that I want. Yeah. yeah kind of thing, yeah, you yeah. know. There's a bluntness to there's it. A, there's a bluntness to it. And they could be like, oh, you know, um, yeah, whatever it is. And so for me, I think my music in some ways, I think, you know, sort of, I start, I started sort of maybe dealing with this a little bit in my music, mm-hmm. you know, maybe symbolically, you know, it's, it's very easy to code and hide within music ideas that you don't ever have to express. Mm. So how words, might, how might this you know? manifest itself? It, might, it just, it, it may just be like the impetus might be a, heartache or a heartbreak or a longing of a certain someone or whatever. And like, mm. I could put that in there, but like, mm-hmm. would you know? No. But like when I play it, do I know? Yes. You know, mm. that kind of thing. And it, and you know, I could hide that more than in a way hiding sort of the Asian-ness, if mm. you will. That's um, so interesting. I, I grew up in, you know, where my dad, although he's not a musician, he loved music. So every day music is playing in our house. And he would put on classical music. He would put on Chinese music, you know, less, you know, pop music, that kind of thing. But definitely classical music and Chinese music w- w- was going on all the time. Yeah. You know, operas, et cetera. Film scores, maybe, you know, if there was a soundtrack out, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so, and then I had an opportunity to learn to play a little bit of erhu, which is a Chinese fiddle, uh-huh. right? Chinese stringed instrument. And so... In some ways, it's really interesting because I, I, I studied with composers who grew, were born and raised in China and they came to the United States and they've made careers for themselves here. 
Um, this is at high school or Yale? This was this was um, actually in graduate school. Okay. Yeah. Or encountering composers who who have come from various Asian countries to the states, studied, and now now have you know are sort of bigger names and. And stuff where'd you like go that. to grad school? I went to Iowa for my um, master's and Michigan for my grad uh, doctorate, and then. In, at all of these institutions are also sort of consortiums with other schools and we would get together once a year and mm. hear people. So then I would meet faculty from other schools from all around the Midwest. Right, right. And it's interesting because for a while I had to sort of think about the idea of authenticity, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, do I have permission to sort of yeah, that's a big uh, question. use, you know, because I don't, uh, I think I've set maybe a couple of Chinese folk songs. So those were mm-hmm. pure settings of songs that I remember as a kid. But otherwise, like there's various pieces. There's a string quartet that I wrote that is, you know, you hear it, you know, it's Asian and stuff. But for me, it was sort of my fascination with perhaps either the the timbre of Chinese instruments mm. or the ornamentation of mm-hmm. Chinese melodies. Mm-hmm. So like, although they weren't pre-existing melodies, they're my melodies, but it's it's my sense of that. Yeah. And for a while I was sort of wondering like, Ooh, is it okay that I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, but then I realized, wait, this is what I hear in my head. This is what, this is based off of music that I've encountered since I was a kid. Yeah. You know, even though I'm looking at China or looking at Chinese music from sort of a Western educational background, yeah. it's still part of my makeup. Yeah, it's still yeah. part of my culture. You're closer to that than, than I am to country music. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. It would, it, I would feel more of a fraud trying to write sort of country <laughs> music, you know, than, than Chinese music. Yeah. Even though like, you know, now I live in Ohio, you know, <laughs> and, and very close to Appalachia, you know, yeah. uh, but like it's, it's, you know, whatever I write definitely would have more of a um, Asian feel than an Appalachian feel. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I remember sort of struggling with that. And I remember also, I can't remember what, you know, I think, I can't remember what piece specifically, but I remember there was there was a time I was like, "Ooh, is it okay that I present this?" You asked yourself, or you I asked myself. Okay. I told you my yeah. I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever had this conversation with um, peers or teachers. Peers, yeah, and that's funny because you're you're talking to me now, and I'm thinking about some of my Chinese and and Korean and Japanese friends who were working alongside in various graduate school programs. We never really talked about it. Hmm. You know, it wasn't. These are musicians. These are composers and composers composers in the program, and Mm -hmm. I didn't talk about it. But then it just became something where, like, oh, I need to express this, and the way I hear it is very sort of maybe Asian in style, Mm -hmm. and so that's just what it is. I mean, I, I feel like at least I have, I can, I have, I don't know, the authority. That's such a, but like I have, I have the um. When I hear, when I hear, you know, I I think if if I were white, and I would try to do the same thing, maybe it would feel more like an affectation or something. Yeah. You know, but, you know, this is how this is where I grew up. This is this is the music that I've heard. This yeah. is this is my take on it, and it, you know, like my take on it would be very different than composers who grew up in an Asian country and came out and they're bringing music from their childhood. It would be very different, but then like, but they also would not have the perspective that I would have of like, okay, growing up in a dual culture upbringing. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Like, how does that affect, you know? So I, you know, did you find that similarly then in terms of how, 
your, your I don't want to say your break, but your change in your 20s when you're sort of thinking about this a lot more? Like asking if I had permission? Or, or yeah, like, you know, yeah. like, you know, you were born in California. Yeah. Right. Like melting pot. Some sort For six of months, I wasn't actually right. <laughs> cognizant. Okay. Okay. Right, right. Right. And then you, and then East coast, right? Yeah. And then, so I, like, yeah, yeah. then I briefly moved back to LA. Um, I think I thought about it a lot. I mean, I had a sort of crisis when I left undergrad cause I was painting and a lot of the artists that I liked were not painters. Okay. And, and, um, you know, for me, I think the way that I wanted to talk about my identity was not best served as a painting. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, we, we, we briefly talked, I think when we first met about how portraiture sort of making a comeback, especially yeah. with uh, queer, the queer body, the, um, the non-white body right. and how it's a new context, but, and there's definitely avenues and ways to talk about identity via that kind of painterly representation. For me, I didn't, I personally didn't want to go that route. Right. So I kind of took a break when I went to Korea and LA briefly because I I was sort of not sure what to do because I painted for 10 years. So then I was like, how do I talk about, about my identity? And I did think a lot about this. And I remember thinking like, well, I mean, as a, as a Chinese American, you know, I think Asians kind of exist in a sort of interesting place as a minority in America, right? We are like the, the model, mod- yeah, the model minority. Yep. So, like, even though you are a minority, you know, it's oftentimes portrayed or seen as a minority that doesn't have any social issues or problems with integration, right? In America, assimilation, right? Right. Which, of course, there's a whole problem with that because that largely only talks about Chinese, Japanese, Korean. Right. kind of forgets about right. all of Southeast right. Asia. Right. Um, but so like I. And we're also ignored in, in, in surveys and polls. Yeah. And stuff, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually didn't talk about Asian American or Asian issues. And I instead started making these sort of sculptures that were talking about social issues in a more okay. broader sense. Around this time, the Arab Spring sort of happened. Yeah. Uh, I made a piece about sort of inspired by Pussy Riot. Right. And so I think that was the furthest I got. And that's sort of when I started really thinking about, do I have a right to say, talk about Arab Spring? So I have a right to talk about Pussy Riot. Right. You know, and I briefly talked about black identity by using Obama's speech in a piece. And I was just sort of playing around and I, I definitely was in my mind. And then when I went to grad school, the first artwork I did was a video and it was a video of me. And then that's when I realized that that was the best way to talk about my identity right. in a non-reductive fashion. What were your paintings like? They were bananas and Twinkies. But wait, you use banana and Twinkies, but I think of the loaded terms of banana and Twinkies, but what were like? There were, there were enormous still lives oh, okay. of bananas and Twinkies. So if they, but you weren't using bananas. You weren't using bananas turkeys as as a as a call or a symbol of the terms of. Oh, I was. You were. Okay. I was. I was. Okay. So they sort of they sort of existed as it's just a still life. It's just a, a fruit. Twinkie. Yeah. It's just uh, radio uh, uh, radioactive radio, radioactive food. <laughs> yeah. But it was also this other thing. But that was also sort of why I stopped painting because I I didn't want to be known as the banana Twinkie painter. But were you only painting those? That was the first time I think I made a painting that about directly identity. talked about my identity. 
What about before that? I just did like uh, still lives of other still things. Still lives. I played around with like abstraction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was I I was I was struggling to figure out what I wanted to paint. Interesting. But then but then I had this epiphany where like oh okay so this banana Twinkie thing is working. Can I expand upon this in a painting way? And in my mind, I couldn't. Mm. And that's sort of why I stopped painting. Right. You know, and right. the path that I kind of saw as most painters take is you work and work and work until you find a very specific voice. And then you hold on to that voice until like forever or until like five, 10 years later. Did that you feel know? too restrictive? For me, it felt like that. I, and, you know, but I know a lot of painters who do that. And, and for them, it's important to continually refine those restrictions right, 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 and right. be refined within those restrictions. But like I said, I just happened to be attracted to artists who sort of broke free from any sort of medium specific restrictions. And right. once I got into film, film was interesting for me because it was time-based and I think time-based things are really messy. Right. Right. Um, right. And this, this applies to music as yeah. well, but like, with a painting or sculpture, you sort of are presented with the painting or sculpture in an instantaneous fashion. Right. You both see the whole thing all at once in a way that you can't with film or music. No, right. It's time-based. You're stuck by the playhead. Right. You can only listen to something by right. second by second. And it makes analyzing, I think, music and film more complicated at times. And I, I kind of like how that messiness is... I see metaphorically similar to the messiness of identity. Sure. You know, so I can like, see that. as opposed to like a painting where like this represents my Chinese Americanness, this represents right. the environment that I'm in, or this represents my body. But like, what does it mean if to see my body in a dinosaur suit or like painted orange yeah. wanting around in a banana grove? Like that's less it. There are symbolisms to it, but I think it also kind of gets confusing as far as like, the actions I take, you know, a lot of right. the actions are less readily readable mm-hmm. in terms of what it may mm-hmm. mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it, this is also giving you the freedom. I mean, in, in some ways, it's interesting to hear you talk about, okay, as a painter, would I perfect what this banana would be? And can I do that for the next 50 paintings or whatever? Yeah, yeah. But I like for, for music, like, and it, it seems like it's what you're, you're finding in video. It's like every piece is its own Define it defines itself, mm-hmm. right? Like, like the voice, obviously, like I think those who would know me or know my music would be, hear like, oh yeah, I hear that characteristic of Jingju's music and that's in all of these. Yeah, Even yeah. though I may not try to do that, but, but I, or, or I guess I would say, I'm not trying to write the same banana yeah. with every piece. You're not trying to do the same yeah. thing with your videos, but yet hopefully the, the, the imprinting of your Vision my is vision, there that my, ties my, it together, regardless. Pathos, yeah, the, the yeah. Uh, decisions I make. Right, that will be there. Right. So yeah. I think it's interesting. I haven't thought about that in terms of painters or painters who sort of choose one subject or one style or one perspective and, and working on sort of perfecting that. Because I mean, I can see that as a as a common goal, regardless of whether or not the subject is the same or not. You know, I think like each time I'm writing a piece, I want to be as fully accurate in terms of representing what I hear or what I want you to hear or what I want you to get out of it. And I Mm -hmm. think probably the same thing with your 
the message or the or your takeaway from the videos that you want people to see. Like you were always striving for that. Like when we're done with it, to be like, "Yep, I've said what exactly I want to mm-hmm. say." Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I think that's. I mean, I think that's. I think that's similar. Yeah, yeah, and then also I think I trust that. I guess in terms of do I have the right? I think once I focused on my my own Chinese American identity via video, I think. I was glad I never entered another sort of, I never entered making art about another race, you know? Right, you right. Know, which is what my earlier sculptures were because I didn't quite know how to deal with it. So I went from like, so I felt I felt that by talking about other races' issues that I could then sort of, by being a minority, that I could be talking about that. But then as soon as I, f- I focused it with the film, I realized how absurd it was to be talking about another race yeah. for me at least. Right, right. But I think, I don't know. I mean, I think, I do think there is something to be said about like who gets to do what in the sense that it's, I think it's literally impossible to actually understand someone outside of your own makeup. Yeah. You know, I think you can get close, but as soon as you start giving yourself a certain permission, I guess, to do things that are outside your realm, you can start having holes in how you do things. Sure. You know, and yeah. I think a lot about like, I think I told you already, but I think a lot about like the Black Panther movie, how different a movie that is because they have like costume designers, directors, mostly black cast, right. all making the decisions and like all those minute right. decision-makings that end up happening is the result of each person's makeup, right? And then yep. when you don't have that, you have got like something like Ghost in the Shell, where you have Scarlett Johansson playing yes. an Asian woman. Right. You know, well, and, like, and, and, and it's infuriating that it's still more often or not than not, it's sort of the Asian stories that get whitewashed, mm-hmm. right? The Asian characters that are sort of replaceable. Well, all of them, though. Like yeah. we're talking about like Crash, we're talking about Three Billboards. Yes, yes, yes. Um, like just to sort of like, if you're looking at it from a different viewpoint, it's just so hard right. to, to truly get all the nuance sure. there. Right. Right. But I, but I still feel like, you know, in some ways, you know, the Asian community, maybe it's because Asian American, you know, this, this assimilation that, that we've talked about a little bit also, but there's also the outrage. There's, I don't think the Asian community as a community rallies very well. They don't. Right. The, <laughs> no. the, the, that kind of thing is, is not there. So like the public outcry stuff, like I sort of have to like find it on the internet to yeah. find certain mm-hmm. groups that are being vocal and being adamant about mm-hmm. representation, about a, across the, the spectrum. It goes of, back to the model minority. Right, 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 right. Because like it's easy for a lot of Asians who are successful to not see race because right. they've been technically treated well. They've, you know, they believe in a sort of merit-based society, so they work hard, and America supposedly sure. gave them um, yeah, gave but, them what they needed. I guess. Do you, but do you think it? Do you think it's that? Because that that to me rings a little bit of like feeling guilty to speak out. And I don't. I don't know if that's it. I don't know if it's. I like, don't think it's guilty. I think I actually think they think it's fair. I see. Right, because like so, the thinking goes: I worked hard. So why can't other minorities work hard? Right. Right. Which goes back to the whole, which is the, which is a very white way of thinking about, right? Like, you know, no food stamps, no affordable housing, because we shouldn't be giving these people uh, benefits because we as white people, some of them worked hard. Mm. And so why can't these minorities work hard? And I think Asians 
have that sort of thinking. Yeah, although I think that's a little bit also more generational, right? Like I think, I think in some ways, like like our generation. Oh no, like our our parents or grandparents' generation. Oh, okay. I think in some ways, I think there's a racism there that we don't often talk about. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I wish like we as a community would be more vocal in general, just because like when I look and I do, you know, I was researching on another project and I was looking at some of the the Chinese workers who were involved with expanding the railways out in California and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And then the, and the laws about, you know, sort of these really discriminatory laws. And they were basically because of the Chinese, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, in terms of rights and, and things like that. Where you could buy a house. Yeah. Right. Even California. I know someone whose dad bought a house in Pasadena because the other places Chinese people or Asian people were not allowed to buy houses actually. Wow. You know? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But, but I would say like the, the outcry for representation, the outcry for stories and the outcry for sort of more inclusivity, there's a larger rallying cry from the um, African American communities, from the uh, Latino American communities, yeah, yeah, yeah. right from the Chinese community. It's just sort of, I'm like, where are you? Where are like, where's yeah, yeah, everyone? Yeah, like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. hear that. You yeah, know, yeah, right? Like, yeah. and even there, but it's, I mean, I was just reading. It's it's complicated. Well, like people definitely complain a lot about the Scarlett Johansson thing, but that yeah, because you know, what else are you gonna have? Like the memoirs of a geisha. Oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But no, but like it's also confusing because then you also have people from the actual native country who have a different view of it. So like, I I remember reading mm. about. How Japanese people, at least the what I've read at least was they were happy that Scarlett Johansson was represented as Japanese. Really? Yeah. Huh. You know, because they're like, it's an honor that a white person can be oh playing. Oh my god. You know? But I guess really and it gets really confusing. Or like, and this happens a lot with like a lot of Chinese movies too, you know. Right. And yeah, then, but see, but then that that's a whole that's a that I know that's that's whole, that's a whole another that's a whole another different thing. Yeah, totally. That's the whole thing where like uh, when we talked about when I was selling how I went to Taiwan, yeah, my, all, the like models 20, were all the models were white, all the male models were yeah, white, the, yeah. right? Like, like you're in a store and like it's a, a Caucasian male with an Asian female draped over him, yeah. in all the advertising. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Yeah, yeah, right? So that's yeah, we don't have to go there, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess. You want to talk about, I guess, your music. Well, I think the I, most recent think thing should... that I saw, I um, I saw was you were talking about your spheres, your spheres, yeah, spheres of, of influence. influence. Yeah, spheres of influence was a uh, interesting piece to work on for me because I, I what I try to do, there's there's other pieces. You know, there's a flute piece I call called Chi, and there's a string C-H-I. quartet. Yeah, C H I. And there's a string quartet called the Swash of Water and Red, and those were very sort of playing with various sounds. Like for that one, it was for a string quartet, but I wanted to give sounds that were reminiscent of like a Chinese string instrument mm-hmm. or, you know, or this sort of Chinese sort of mouth organ sound. And so like some of those timbres or stuff I wanted to sort of replicate with string instruments um, with the spheres of influence, which is, which was a sextet and now string sextet. And then now it's also, a, I also have a string orchestra version. I was, I wanted to try to find how would I sort of meld these influences together, mm-hmm. you know, because like in some ways, like, you know, I can't, I can't say like, oh, the left side of me is Chinese and the right side of me is, yeah. is, is, is white or, you know, anything like that. But it's more the idea of like, okay, 
I grew up with these Chinese mel- melodies, these Chinese ideas, ideals, customs, etc. Mm-hmm. But then my education has always been Western. Yeah. So then, like um, when I have been learning music, it's always through sort of a Western lens. But the decisions of who I am and 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 what I do, a lot of it, you know, has to do with you know how my parents raised me. Mm-hmm. Right. There's certain things that I, I mean, there's certain things that I think I could I could. Specifically, say, oh, that's very Chinese that I do that. Yeah, yeah. Or, but then there's things that I do that probably are also very Chinese that I don't even think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so I was trying to play with this idea of like, okay, who are we? And this that piece is specifically about identity because I started thinking about like, okay, so who we are is a is is a sort of a composite of our family. Mm-hmm. Our friends and our teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, if you think about, or when I was thinking about, like, okay, at a certain age, maybe all the way through high school, let's say, you sort of liked or disliked things because your parents did, your household did, mm-hmm. or whatever, or yeah. or your friends or a group of friends, mm-hmm. they thought that was cool. You'll think it's cool. Yeah, you think right? that was dumb. You think it's dumb. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, like, whether it's the music you listen to, or the clothes you wear, or mm-hmm. the activities you join in, or mm-hmm. whatever, it, it's sort of shaped. Your identity is shaped by them. Yeah. And I feel like what's really interesting about college is sort of the first time that you bump into or you're encouraged to have friction with in classroom discussions, et cetera, that deal with like, okay, how do your values sort of hold up? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, you may be voting one way politically, but can you defend that? Yeah. Or friends who grew up uh, religious, they start questioning that, mm-hmm. right? Because they're like, wait a minute, I've always went to church, but like mm-hmm. now, like, do I believe in, you know? And like, you, you, they didn't have the space to ask that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking about like, you know, in music and I'm sure it's similar in art, you know, like there's there's this lineage of like, oh, I'm studying with this teacher. And I know that, that teacher studied with this person who studied with this person who studied with this great artist. So like, mm-hmm. so like the influence of, you know, Beethoven go, works down to like, oh my gosh, I'm studying with someone who studied with someone, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. that's, there's the influence of, of, of that. So then for the piece, I was sort of just thinking like, okay, how do I put all of this together? How do I sort of represent that? Because then at some point, you know, this is also um, thinking about my role as a parent, Mm. what values and what do I, what do I pass on? Mm. Right. And what I pass on then is sort of a a composite of all of these things Mm. in some ways. Right. Like I I think it's really cute. You know, I'm, um, I have four kids, but I remember my oldest son, even, you know, when he was six or seven, he would, he would say that he's Chinese, even though he's Caucasian. He'll say he's Chinese because he's like, well, my dad's Chinese, so I'm Chinese. Yeah. You know, and I know there's elements of the way I do things at home or the things that we, um, the customs we might follow or something that sort of give him that sort of. Right, because um, he calls you Baba. Empowerment. Yeah, he, they call me Baba. Of right, they know some Chinese. Yeah. You know, we we go, you know, we, we, we celebrate some Chinese holidays and we sort of, follow some customs with Take off my- shoes in the house. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. But that- <laughs> well, I, well, I yeah. mean, I don't know. Jim, Jim probably didn't grow up with that. Right. So. Um, I don't know. So that was, that was a decision. That, that was a decision that had to be made. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah that, I mean, that, there, was, there was no way we we're going to have shoes in the house. <laughs> no I wouldn't, way. I wouldn't, but yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also uh, things to mark like my, grandparents and my dad's passing and mm-hmm. some of the customs and stuff that, that we do there that, that are sort of, you know, they're Chinese or not, they're not American in that sense, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they, they take part, part in that. And so 
Um, you know, they, they have, they have Chinese middle names, you know? So like, cause I think like, you know, some of the things, some of the, the cuisine that they eat, right. The stuff that I cook, all that, mm-hmm. and that's all, that's all part of it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think in some ways I'm a tiger mom. You, you, know? you, 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 you know? classify yourself as a tiger mom? I, I think, I think to a certain extent, I, okay. I, 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 I think I would wish I were more laid back than I am, but I know that some of this is just totally from my parents, you know, the whole yeah. thing. Like if you come home with a 95, like, Oh, 95, huh? Yeah. Well, what happened to those last five points, yeah. you know? Yeah. Or like if it's 98, you know, like, yeah, okay, almost, yeah. you know? Or if it's 100, you're like, oh, was there extra credit? Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Did you ever, did you get that? Uh, my parents were pretty lax about that. Were they? Yeah. Oh, my parents were, I mean. Like, they, no, I okay. mean, they, they knew that I was working hard so that whatever grade I got, I was definitely doing my best. Okay. I might not have been the most efficient. No, I was like B plus. Okay. Um, so like I might not have been the most efficient student, but they knew that I was working. I wasn't, I wasn't that rebellious. Like I didn't, I didn't do anything that would cause them to be of concern. I I come home, I be, I'd be on a computer and then I'll do my homework and I seem to be studying. So, (laughs) (laughs) so like, I mean, they gave my brother a harder time because like they actively saw him slacking, him slacking, and and yeah. not getting good grades. So I think there's that sort of worked in my favor in yeah. terms of my relationship to my parents and grades. Yeah. I could tell, like you know, when when we go to parent teacher conferences and like you know the teachers are like, oh yeah, no, they're doing fine. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> percentage wise, should like like he, I don't know, or she, yeah, like, she, yeah, one. or or that like. I don't know if they're working their hardest and like sort of that. And so I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, um, I think I could recognize that as sort of an unhealthy attitude to have. I, I, I could go as far as saying that, but like whether or not that affects me so that I actually become more, more laid back is something that I know I definitely still have to work on. You know, so these are the things where like, you know, I would have never really thought about as part of my identity until I became a parent. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, no, that, you know, 92. Okay. You know, you need to bump that up. So in case you, you know, you get an 80 something that was going to help cushion it or whatever, Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and just the ways that your identity just inform who you are and the decisions you make. Yeah. Right. So I think, I think, yeah. But I, I mean, I'm trying to recognize, you know, the differences in my kids in terms of what, what they are. And, and definitely it's sort of like if they're, as long as they do, I mean, and this is why I say this to them and I, and it's true, you know, and I don't, you know, as long as they are doing their best, then yeah. I will be happy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, okay, as long as you're putting your best effort. So like my, I think my pushing them has sort of been more like, oh, you know. You know, they'll say like, oh, well, I don't have to do this. The teacher said this is extra. I'm yeah, like, well, yeah, it's, it's there. So you do it. Yeah. You know, like, like I answered that question. I'm like, yeah, but you answered the bare minimum. I want yeah, you to yeah. always go beyond. So that's the kind of thing where I'm like, you know, I don't want them to do just the bare minimum. I yeah. want them to always push, you know, and yeah. I think that's, you know, that's part of me. Does that translate into my music? I don't know. Mm. You know, but I think, I think it's. It's just part of who I am. And this is a part where like, I think with this sextet, it was sort of like, okay, how do I represent this growth? So for for me, it's sort of, I thought like, I thought of sort of 
sonically representing this as this sort of like one idea or in this in this case in this piece sort of everyone's sort of focused on one pitch and then how that sort of starts to spread out Mm -hmm. and then in the roles of influences then like i tried to sort of divide the sextet up in ways where different people are influencing different others and they break off into different segments of Mm -hmm. different trios different duos different soloists so everyone sort of has that because i was trying to represent how you know, we're, we're, we, our identity, our composite is made up of so many different influences. Yeah. You know, are you um, still interested in having your music have those messages hidden? Like, cause you talked earlier how, like when you're finding yourself in college, you know, the piece might be about someone who you long to or be with something. or yeah, or but, yeah. But now that, now that that no longer has to be hidden, do you think well, your music think, has changed um, from that? Like, I think there's always an aspect of hidden, the, the, like there's also a sort of a hidden, very personal subtext to that piece that I don't think I'll share right now. But um, yeah. I, I did like in the premiere, like when, when it was being premiered, I did talk about it to the audience there mm. just to tell them, hey, this is also what this piece is about. Right, right. This is happening at a time in my life where this is happening. So for me, you know, for example, that that middle section of my piece is just three, it's three sections. That middle lament was a very personal thing mm. that I was going through and so i think with music there's always that Mm. you know i think the pieces that i'm writing here and the material that i'm playing with here even though it's for different forces there are certain things that sort of ideas here that i'm that i know when i look back at it i'll be like oh yes because in my life i was thinking about this Mm. you know there's a there's a little piece that i wrote here at Brush Creek where I wasn't coming to, to intending to write this, but at like during my first week here, several, like several of my friends either lost their parents or, mm. uh, or their spouse, like sort of within a week, there were like three passings. Arriving at Brush Creek. When I arrived here. And like, mm. so there was, so like I was feeling immense sadness for them. And there was, mm. and, and one night I was sort of working on something that started becoming something that I wasn't planning on writing, but I sort of finished that. And I know it will always be infused with thinking about that, even though mm. it's funny because um, that piece that I was doing that I started writing was sort of my, it was almost like a little, a play piece for me at that time uh, where I w- was working like, Oh, in terms of this identity idea of like, what if I took one pitch and what is that identity? And in a very tonal context, I don't want to get too much into, you know, music theory or anything like that, but like, you know, the function of a pitch is very different depending on where it is placed within a harmony, mm-hmm. right? So it could have many different roles, not only by its position in the harmony, but also the harmony itself and the characteristics of of that chord. Yeah. So I started just playing with the idea, like if I play with one pitch, how many harmonies can I sort of spin around it mm. that would be coherent for me? So that this idea of identity and how, the, how can the identity can shift. Yeah. So I will probably talk about that when I talk about this piece. That's interesting how you embed that into the piece. Right. But like, but then, but the way the sonorities are formed or the ways I chose the sonorities or the reason why these sonorities were chosen definitely had to do with some of the personal stuff too. Mm. You know? Yeah. So, I, I won't. I won't talk about that. But I'll talk about this idea of identity and, and shifting, hmm. shifting identities. Or can you remain um, sort of you yourself as the world shifts around you? Yeah, that's really fascinating. I think it's, I, I personally find it really interesting because in art, things tend to be more of a one-to-one. Yeah. 
representation or symbolic yeah. meaning or because I think music is one of the most abstract mediums. Yeah. Yeah. Especially once you take out lyrics. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I think, and I think it's so easy to hide. It's very easy to hide. And yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Like yeah, I, yeah. it gives me the space to be vulnerable mm-hmm. because I can cloak it. Right. <laughs> I can cloak it. I, I I feel like I know I have writers, friends who are, who say that, you know, I, and I understand that the power of language is also stuff that they can hide behind it. Mm. But I feel like with all our disciplines, we have to reveal ourselves, right? So we can reveal ourselves. And in a way, because I don't have any text in, in certain pieces, then I could be more abstract than they can. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if, if a writer uses the word death, or if you title your work death, mm-hmm. then boom, yeah, all of that's there, mm-hmm. right? But if, but you know, if I, I don't know, um, or in com- art, things are representational. If they are representational, then yeah, they're yeah. representational, right? Yeah. When you're putting out that banana, you have like, there's a lot of things we can talk about with that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But if you have sort of just threw a, a, a yellow shape on. I could take it to so many different other places, yeah. right? And you could still hide. You could be like, nope, it's still about the banana. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I think I think I think music can cloak in a way. Mm-hmm. But I think what's really interesting is also how music, like, like I think you know, e- like everybody deals with music, right? Whether you're a musician or not, everybody could probably remi- remind themselves of a. A song that was on the radio when they were in high school and they were breaking up or whatever. And like you hear that now, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later, you'll hear like, oh my gosh, I remember that. Or something that deals with like. It's the most universal also, I think, of all the art mediums. Yeah. You think so? I think so. I mean, I think. You don't, you don't need an explanation. I mean, like some contemporary and minimalist. Yes. yes. Uh, avant-garde music that is less so, but. Music exists as a whole. Music as a whole, I think, exists. Also, music, I think, is interesting because it doesn't have the hierarchy that other things have from a from a from a cultural generalized population standpoint. So, for instance, like in art, like there's fine art things that are gallery, museum, yes. and everything yes. below is like folk or like hobby, right? Right? Or like writing, you've got like serious literature, and then you've got like you know, right? Cheap mystery, right. Uh, right. pulp fiction novels. Right. But with music, like, I don't know if people really see, like, Beethoven as higher than, say, a pop musician like Beyonce. Well, I I think it's interesting. I think there's a dichotomy, right? Because I think there is an elevation of, like, concert music, right? Yeah. Of of what would be in a concert hall. And there's always, obviously, discussions. Right, who gets a show there. Who gets a show there. But also, like, how... How in 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 light of losing audiences, how do they reach more people? Yeah, right. In a way that, like you know, pop industry is still so determined by you know who you know and where you are and what gets the airplay. So you got all these talented musicians and songwriters who never ever see the light of day because they the industry decided to back yeah. name name current pop star through and then like whether they you know that whole image is a very sort of very different thing right, right. that we don't have in the other disciplines yeah you know but i think um but as far as like an actual like pop seems to exist more ambiguously in relationship to all you know everything like there's else. all these categories yeah like like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like i don't think anyone would really compare opera to like coldplay Right, whether, right, you, right. whether you hate right, a right, player right, or not, like, right. like where they exist in terms of a hierarchy is not so clear versus the sure. other arts. At least I see a, a more clear hierarchy that's both 
accepted academically and also like uh, just by popular, sure, just population sees it too. Right, right. I think, although I think there's also a a sense that, and I think there's a similarity with art here, where like everyone could be an armchair critic, mm-hmm. right? Like, like they can listen to a little bit of music, but like, oh, I don't like that. Art, right. but, but fine art, not so much. Well, yeah, right? Because think about the people who will criticize a Jackson Pollock painting, for example, and be like, oh, my kid can do that if I gave them the paint or whatever, right? Like, yeah. like you'll see you'll see that kind of... Um, art, but art, but art is shrouded in academia. Oh, it is shrouded. It's like, yes. like, like in the sense that like you have to have a certain confidence in yourself to say, okay, my kid could do a Jackson Pollock, but a lot of times when I go to like a, a museum, like people don't even know how to approach it. Because, yes. Because, because yes. like even, so like, I think what I've noticed in art, like art education tends to end either, either in the, the Renaissance right. or maybe Warhol or maybe Pollock, but then like past those three yeah, yeah, markers, yeah. the art history doesn't really exist for most people. So when you go to the museum, like you see artworks that are in dialogue with each other, that's post Warhol, yeah, post Pollock. Yeah. So they can't even say that my my kid could do that. No, but they would they they will admit that they don't understand it. Which is right, but right. music there isn't that. There though. isn't that. Like they they will just sort of say they like it, they don't, and right. they just turn it off. Right. right, which I think is which is why I think music is more universal. Oh, I see. What you, yeah, yeah. It, but it, well, I guess my frustration with that is that like you know there's a famous article sort of basically I think I don't remember the title it was really who cares if you listen or that became sort of the the title mm-hmm. um, but like it was sort of talking about music in comparison to like a science lecture like you can go to a science lecture if you don't understand it you know the people walk out of it like well I just don't get it they understand that it's above them but people don't have that same patience with music mm-hmm. you know like well if they won't be like oh I don't get it let me take the time to really understand it very few people will do that but I think that's similar in art right like mm-hmm. if they may see sort of uh, what they see is sort of as a blank canvas or or, or a monochromatic canvas, and they'd be like that's it. Like, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just one color. I, right. I, it's just, just like house painting. Right. But, yeah. um, you know, you can go to a gallery and you can see how visual art is being appreciated by, you know, by the price tag of the works. Right. We're like, I think the commissioning for visual art is at a very different level than the commissioning for music. And because in art, I think, you know, there is that, there is that thing that's tangible. You can you can hang that on sometimes. your wall. You can, or yeah, sometimes, sometimes. My my like yeah, my yeah, videos okay. are yeah, not, right. okay, not, yeah, not that's very, true. That's true. Not yet, not okay. yet. They aren't tangible yet, right. right? But like, let's say if it's a sculpture uh, <laughs> yeah, piece right. or or something that can be displayed that can be hung that. over and your hung over your right. sofa. There's 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 that there's that sort of um, I don't know um, cachet for a certain segment of our population to be able to be an art collector. But that's part of right? what I'm saying is the elitism that music doesn't have. Yes, but it allows, it allows in a way for a valuing of work that also mm. music doesn't have. Mm. Right. Because like, I think people can look at a, a, um, a work of art that's being hung on a wall. And if the price tag is $4,000 or $35,000 yeah. or even more, they may be like, wow, that's a lot to do that. But like, if that, I were, yeah, but they, yeah, and they know not to touch it. They know blah, not to blah, touch blah, it and stuff blah, like yeah. that. But like, you know, let's say to get like, you know, oh, I'll get a $35,000 commission to, do, to write this piece. Or like, that's, <laughs> that's not as, as, as realistic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's, so it's interesting to sort of think about like, because, and maybe that's why the similarity with your video work is sort of like, look, 
you can't really touch it, right? You can't like, like I can, I, we can have the performance as a piece. I can give them the music or something like that. But like mm-hmm. to experience it takes time, mm-hmm. right? Like in our, um, for your videos, it takes time. You mm-hmm. have to watch through it, you know? Although in art, everything gets commoditized. Yeah. You know, like yeah. video artists will make additions and not have their videos online or they'll make additions of the video. Okay. So like, that's why you're like only sure sharing. Like they'll make five DVDs and then like those are the only ones that exist to the public. Oh really? Yeah. Some people do that. Uh, Someone just had a great idea, which (laughs) I might, I might take, but they're like, they'll buy a a flat screen display, have a USB plugged in and then weld like a metal box around the USB so that it becomes an object. Interesting. You know, um, And then like, you know, every, everything can be commoditized, like the Fluxus and early performance yeah. art, it became a commodity via video or photography or text or mm-hmm. posters. So art always finds a way to That's make something true. a commodity. Yeah. Because like you said, there's that elitism of owning something culturally important, whereas music, it's, it's you people, know. I don't think people value it in the same way, but I don't, I don't think people realize how it is everywhere, you know, yeah, like, like yeah. I think, I think if there, if, if, if musicians and all the publishers and all, and if, if they all, if, if we did a one day without music kind of thing, I think people will finally notice. Cause like, I mean, especially in, in our, like, can you imagine going to a restaurant where there's no music? Yeah. Right. Going into an elevator, there's no music, going to a hotel, there's no music, like, like boom, music was just out for one day. Movies without music. And commercial, without music. Commercials, yeah, commercials without music. Everything. Right. right. Yeah, it's it's uh, it would be but I, fascinating. But I also think it's universal because it's so prevalent. Yeah. Right? Like I always say like, you know, going back to like history, like people's art history tends to end at those three points. Yeah. Warhol, Pollock, Renaissance, maybe a little more. But with music, like my dad would never say any contemporary pop song is not music, even if he hates it. Because hmm. he's he okay. or my mom have lived through that evolution. So like you know, they've, so I always, you know, I think about it as like, if someone hears a rap song, even if they don't like rap, less people are probably going to say it's not music because they've heard the evolution of rap and R&B. Sure. But it, it took movie. a while for rap though. It took a while, but like you, but you can't be ignorant of it. If right. you, if you watch movies, you watch commercials, if you watch television, if you. You are exposed. You're just exposed. And so you heard the beginnings of rap, R&B or whatever, um, you know, even like EDM, like you've heard, they're all variants of things that you've had an education of just by cultural osmosis, whereas right. art, there isn't that osmosis, Right. I think. Like my art comes from a lineage that I think isn't necessarily apparent. It's mm-hmm. something I think about mm-hmm. a lot, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. know, like I gave that presentation to you and it's like, I had to talk a lot. Right. You know, right. I, I had to basically create my own framework. Right. Whereas music, that framework exists in, in daily life, I think. Yeah. Although I would say that the work that like my colleagues and I do, like you sort of, you define each rule, each, each piece separately. Right. So like the things that you're trying to investigate and like, I could, I could help you better understand a piece of music if I were to able to give it a context or, mm. or talk about mm-hmm. its creation in that way. Mm-hmm. Now, does it, is it, is it necessary? No. And in some ways, you know, I also know, of composers who don't want to say anything about their music and they just want to present it. And mm-hmm. like, whatever you take from it, it's what you take from it. Yeah. Art right? too. Right. The, the so, varies. 
So for me, I think it's what's exciting is is just to see what other people take from it. Yeah, I I, I don't mind giving a context, and and if that's sort of at least because you know I think it's I think it's different. I think like you know if if to a sort of music concert going audience, if I say symphony or concerto, boom, you've got certain connotations in your head, your expectations right, in your head. Right, right, right. Right, but, but if if it's a very title, very abstract title or something where, well, like spheres of influence, you're like, okay, what's that going to be? It doesn't even tell you what forces it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Or right? what the influences are. Or the influences are. Mm-hmm. Then if I, at least I can sort of point you in a direction to receive this mm-hmm. in a certain way or to um, let your mind explore in a certain direction, at least that will give you context. Mm. You know, so I think for me, I, I I find that sort of important in sort of just being able to set the stage a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, this is what you're about to hear. Yeah. And then boom. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you have any last words? I think we talked about a lot. No, I know. I think we talked, maybe, maybe we went off on too many tangents, it's but fine. it was fun to talk. I know. I mean, that's why talk. I like, that's why I like the podcast formula. Yeah. I think it doesn't have those restrictions and yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Change you. Yep. Thank you. Zivon. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.